But we had a wonderful time in Israel. For those of you that didn't know, we were in Israel for 10 days. And that was the first time we got to go to Israel. And it's crazy that we would bring a four and five year old with us. Uh, and it was a wild time, I'll tell you. We wound up going on a tour with Robert Stearns and Eagles Wings Ministry and Heart of David. We were on a private bus with a group of about 20 of us and got to really experience Israel in an immersion sense where we went to a lot of sites really hard, really fast, and got to kind of see a general overview of the land in just 10 days. We were also a part of a prayer movement called Awake Jerusalem. And this has been going on for many, many years. It's an annual prayer event on the first weekend of October. It started out with Robert Stearns and Jack Hayford, Mike Bickle, and many others. It's broadcast live on God TV. And this year, it was uh, the event was held at a open-air coliseum and park overlooking all of Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives, the Temple Mount, the City of David, and it was absolutely beautiful. Uh, I hope to post more pictures, but if you really want to get a good idea of how the trip was, just follow my wife's Instagram, because she posts our every move, I'll tell you. And uh, I just, I honestly, I'm so busy and focused on so many other things. I don't do such a great job, but I do get some things posted so you guys can see some pictures. Uh, there's a picture, I believe, on my Instagram of me. They rented some congas for me. I brought some doombecks and some instruments, and it was absolutely incredible. And then we got to worship at the Field of Shepherds in Bethlehem, which is where the angels announced the birth of Christ to the shepherds, and uh, we had James Nesbitt was there, and my dear friend, uh, Jamie Fitt, who has been a leader with me in the Heart of, David Heart of David Global Worship Network for the last five years, and we just had spontaneous, like, combustive, explosive worship. I mean, it was, like, over the top. And I had my Doombeck, which has this kind of Turkish Middle Eastern sound, and just shredded the drum. The kids came over. They grabbed the tambourines. They grabbed the shakers. And uh, there was a little video that was posted by Amber, I think, on her Insta story. But I'll post it again because it was really a supernatural, incredible moment. And um, it was awesome. There were about 300 people traveling with Eagles Wings Ministries at the same time. There were roughly 700,000 people that were at the prayer event with prominent rabbis and prominent leaders at the, of the Israel Knesset, which is the Israeli governmental structure, was there. And uh, we got to do a lot of incredible things. Now, I don't want to tell you about all of it right now because I don't think you came on a Sunday morning to hear about my trip to Israel. Though I know some of you would like to hear about that. And, uh, but not necessarily on a Sunday morning. And so this coming Wednesday, I'm going to show some pictures, talk a little bit more about it, but also make it very personable for all of us. So it's not just coming to hear about a trip, but rather coming to kind of experience what we experienced and then to pray for Israel. The Bible makes it very clear that we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and that those that bless and honor that nation, God would bless and honor. And so I'll talk a little bit more about that on Wednesday night and show some pictures, and uh, we'll have a powerful time because I'm sure God will somehow make it really, really spiritual. And uh, at least that's what I think I'm going to do on Wednesday, but you never exactly know what's going to happen on a Wednesday night. So I want to invite you all to come on Wednesday night if you can, okay? We really missed you. There's no place like home. There's no place like America. I want you to know that I'm a very, very proud American. And and a Texan, yes. I'm, I'm, you know, I thought I would be a Floridian all the days of my life. I was born in Miami, Florida, and was a proud Floridian, but I have converted. I just want to let you all know, you all know, that I, I am a converted Texan. And uh, don't hate me if I tell you I still like the Miami Hurricanes. I still like the Miami Hurricanes, uh, but I am a Texas fan. I won't tell you which team because I don't want to create any division in this church. So... Um, but I, I think I want to start out this morning by saying I love my country because this is the country that God chose to have me birthed in, and it's the country that God had chose most of you to be birthed in, and I care deeply for this nation, deeply. I pray for this nation. I pray for every president that's ever been over me and over us since the day that I got born again, because prior to me getting born again, 
I was not praying for presidents. I was angry, smoking pot, and I was an anarchist. Uh, but God changed my life, and now he's given me a love and a prayer for every single person that he's put in authority over my life, regardless of the choices and the decisions that they make. I don't agree with every choice and decision that every president has made since I have been a Christian, and I don't know that I will going forward for the rest of my life. There are a lot of things in America that I don't agree with and that I don't like. I hate racism. I hate division. I hate pornography. I hate the, the allowance of pornography and prostitution, human trafficking, and so many other things that takes place. Uh, probably the greatest thing that I hate more than anything is the racial and cultural divide more than anything. I hate fatherlessness, and I hate lawlessness, and godlessness. And all those are rampant, sadly, in our country. But that doesn't mean that I don't love our nation. And that doesn't mean that I don't stand for it, fight for it, pray for it, and believe in it, and do all I can to make it a better place. You need to understand that. And every time I go out of the country, to, whether it's Brazil, Mexico, Greece, Israel, it doesn't matter where I've been or where I go, every time I come back to America, I kiss the ground because I love this nation, and I want you to know that. I am proud to be an American. Do I have any more love for this nation than others? Not necessarily. I love all the nations, but I'm thankful for where God put me, and I believe that God has given us a mandate to make this a better place. And at the end of the day, no matter where I go, whatever nation I travel to, I believe that my first mission field and your first mission field is your backyard. And that's mandated in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when God said that you'd receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'd be witnesses first in your hometown. And so your family, your backyard, and the city that God puts you in is the place that God calls you to love. Even when the Israelites were in exile, God gave a command to them to pray for that city that they were exiled into and to plant gardens and to make it a fruitful place. Because if the city and the nation that they were exiled into was prosperous, guess what? they would be prosperous. And so I just want you all to know that I deeply love this country. I love you. I love my family. I love the fact that I have a people to call my own, a family to call my own. When I traveled to Israel, I was traveling with a lot of people that I were acquaintances with, that were somewhat friends, but none of them that I could really call family to the degree that I can call you family. Are we family with Christians all over the world? Yes. But does God have a unique calling on a local body, a local tribe that our hands and feet and eyes and ears are connected to? You bet he does. And so I'm thankful for you. Thank you for coming here to Rock City. Thank you for worshiping here. Thank you for believing in Amber and I. Thank you for believing in what God's doing in this house and trusting and standing with us. And I know some of you are visitors. I know some of you are coming to kind of check us out or have been on and off and attending. I want you to know that that's all right and that I love you. And I'm grateful that you would even come and be here as much as you do. And I mean that wholeheartedly. This was a powerful trip for me in a lot of ways. And in so many ways, it was an awakening. I can't say that I had this incredible, profound spiritual experience. But what I can say is my roots were dug deeper. What I can say is my understanding of things that I have taught and believed for over 25 years were made real to me like never before. The experiences of what I saw, the experiences of what I learned from the layout, the geography, the different components of the land, the Jewish faith, all of the things that I saw and experienced had a profound impact on my heart. And so I would be amiss to not take that experience and give it to you and share it with you and help you to understand why it's important to all of us, okay? And so I'm going to talk a little bit about Israel but I'm going to talk about it in a way that I hope you can understand and is personal for you. I've heard so many people teach about the nation of Israel throughout my life as a Christian. I can't tell you how many services, how many conferences, how many people that I've heard talk about Israel. And at the end of the day, I walked away with a lack of understanding and it wasn't personal for me. And so today I want to talk about why we as Christians have a mandate to support Israel. Now, you need to understand that in Israel, there's lots of division, there's lots of sin. Even in Tel Aviv, it's like the, the Middle East capital for homosexuality, and it's sad. But it doesn't mean that we don't love the people, and we don't love the nation, and we don't support it. Nor does it mean that we don't have a special affinity like God does towards that nation. 
And I want to help you understand why God cares so much about the nation of Israel and why we as Christians have a responsibility to support the nation of Israel and what happens when we do. Because the Bible makes it very, very clear that something special is given to those that align themselves with this nation. And in order for us to understand why we have to have a commitment, a love, and a support for Israel, we have to first understand how the nation of Israel was birthed and how the covenant promise made to its founding forefather is also a promise made to every single one of us. That's where it all begins. And so if we're really going to understand Jerusalem and the power of Jerusalem and the temple mounts and how God has now made us a sanctuary and a temple not built with hands, if we're really going to understand why God chose to put his spirit in us and why God has picked all the nations of the world through the founding forefather, Abraham, if we're really going to understand it, we have to understand covenant. And to understand covenant, we understand that God made a commitment and a promise to every single one of us. Covenant means that God struck a treaty with you because he loves you. God did what we couldn't do. God did for you what you could never do on your own. He made a covenant and a promise to you and to your children and to your descendants for the generations to come. And that promise is full of blessing and life and hope and love. And it's a promise that will affect all of our lives if we'll grab a hold of it, okay? So this morning, time would prohibit me to really explain to you the first 12 chapters of Genesis. Okay, I mean, that's a lot to cover in the first 12 chapters of Genesis. And I teach about a lot of the things over the course of time in those first 12 chapters. So many things happened, starting with Adam and Eve, going to Cain and Abel, Enoch, Noah, the flood, and the Tower of Babel, all happened in the first 12 chapters, in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Starting in Genesis chapter 12, God would pick a man who was the very first man ever called a Hebrew. And this man was a man by the name of Abram. And God would give us insight later on in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, as to why God picked this one man to build a nation and give a promise to. Because the question that we should all have is, why did God choose this one man, Abraham, to birth the nation of Israel from? And Genesis 18, 19 gives us insight into that. Genesis 18, 19, God says this about Abraham. He says, for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So God would pick a man in the midst of pagan worship and idolatry all over the world who would decide to honor the one true living God above all else. God would pick this one man. And you have to understand that Abraham's family were, were pagans. So Abraham's father and his family came from a city called Ur. And the city of Ur is, was in Mesopotamia, which is in modern-day Iraq, probably not too far from where the original Garden of Eden was. And in Ur this land of the Chaldeans, they were moon worshipers. They were lunatics. The word lunatic comes from the understanding of lunar, looking at the moon, studying the moon, worshiping the moon, and in turn, it turns you into a lunatic, okay? And so the land of Ur was this pagan place where ultimately Abraham's father would take Lot, his grandson, and take Abraham and Sarai, Abram and Sarai, his wife, up to another city called Haran, which is in modern-day Turkey. And this was a caravan town. This is a place where lots of trade routes went through, and this is a place where it was also known as pagan worship and moon worshipers. And there was all kinds of idolatry and all kinds of harlotry and all kinds of just pagan god worship. And so Abram's father would ultimately stay and not move on from there, probably because he felt comfortable being in a land that worshipped just like his homeland. But ultimately, God would pick this one man out, a son who would ultimately become a father. His name was Abram, changed to the name Abraham. 
and he would give him a command in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now, you have to understand, I'm summarizing so much up for you in such a short time. But what I'm trying to do is make it super, super ultra simple for you so that you can understand how it applies to your life and where it came from, okay? And I'm going to sum it up in the next 25 minutes, okay? But it'll be a lifetime to really understand it all, all right? So the Lord says to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, and I'll just add to it, from the place of pagan worship and lunatics, from your father's house to a land that I'm going to show you. Ultimately, that land would be Canaan. Now, it would be a long, 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 long time from then that the Israelites, hundreds and hundreds of years before the Israelites would go back to Canaan, known as the promised land. And you guys should know the story. Ultimately, God calls Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, and that sacrifice would take place on Mount Moriah, which is where the modern-day Temple Mount is, which, by the way, used to be owned by a guy named Ornan, who was a Jebusite, and there's this incredible story of how God commanded David from the city of David, which isn't actually in Jerusalem. It sits just be- it's in Jerusalem, but it's outside of the old city, just below Jerusalem, God would command David to build a monument right there on Ornan's field, which is the exact same place where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. Now, that's a lot of information. It's stuff to learn over the course of time. But the main thing I want you to see is going all the way back to Abraham, when God would call him to the land of Canaan and to sacrifice his son, there still remains a promise today. And we stood literally on Mount Moriah, right below the Temple Mount and worship God with Misty Edwards and Eddie James with the Mount of Olives to our left and the city of David just below us. And right above us was the Alos Mosque and the, city, the Temple Mount right behind the walls where we worship with these like seven and eight ton stones that were used to build the original temple that Solomon built after David. And we're worshiping on the Temple Mount or right below the Temple Mount, where Peter led 3,000 people to the Lord on the day of Pentecost with Misty Edwards. It was this surreal experience. So we stood there. We worshiped there. We experienced God there. It's a very real, tangible place that God would put his namesake and his own, city, his own stamp on his own city and ultimately call his. It's where Jesus took off, and it's where Jesus is coming back. And so it was a profound, profound experience and a profound encounter. And so it's a promise that's made to all of us. And let's look at the promise. God would call Abraham out of Haran, and he would say to him, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Verse 3. I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth, all the families of the earth, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then the next scripture goes on to say, so I'll paraphrase it for you. Abraham packed his bags, trusted God, and went. And it's powerful because God would make this promise, and you saw just a minute ago, the reason why God would pick this man, because this man, in the midst of all idolatry, in the midst of all the potential persecution, in the midst of all his own family being pagans and false god worshipers and lunatics, Abraham would trust God and ultimately be obedient and would be called a friend of God, okay? So we're going to take a brief look at this promise. This promise is a sevenfold promise. It's a sevenfold promise, which means completeness, which means fullness, and it means that if we will put our trust in this promise, we can find rest and hope and peace in our own life because this promise applies to you today in Corpus Christi, Texas. It's crazy. It's so crazy to think about this. This is like, I don't know, 19th century BC or something like that. This is so long ago. It's millennials ago. But today... Every single one of us can stand in the promise that God had to Abraham, and all of us can step into the blessing that God had for him, not only for our own lives, but to be a blessing to everybody else that they encounter. So now I'm not just receiving, but I'm giving. So let's look at it. The first thing is 
Go back to verse two. The first thing is that God says, number one, I'm gonna make you a great nation. That great nation first would be to Abraham's seed, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then Jacob's 12 sons, and ultimately Jacob's name would become Israel, and the nation of Israel would be birthed. So God says, I'm gonna make you a great nation. Now, as we move forward through Christ, I'm gonna show you this in a moment, God ransoms us and grafts us in to the original promise. So now we become a part of that great nation. Now I'm a great nation, you're a great nation. Now when you didn't have a homeland, when you didn't have a promise, when you didn't have a rightful inheritance, God says, I'm gonna give you an inheritance. And today I'll talk with you briefly about becoming an heir, that through Christ, you become an heir. An heir means that I have a rightful promise that I can obtain legally. You understand that? Now I know it's a lot of information for a Sunday morning, but if you can catch this, it'll shift you. If you can catch this, it'll break poverty mentality. If you can catch this, you can understand that you're gonna step into not just favor, it's way more than favor. It's way more than jewelry and cars and houses and land. It's not even so much about the land itself as it is about a greater promise of hope forgiveness, life, salvation, strength, power, authority, and overcoming. Do you understand that? All the other stuff's a great byproduct. You can have that too. Yes, I do believe that. I believe God gives us a rightful inheritance to take this city. I believe God gives us prosperity. I believe God wants you to be prosperous, not living in poverty. I believe that. And I believe that no matter where you're at, no matter what you make, God can shift you. God can propel you. And if you can learn to trust him in the midst of adversity and hardship, if your marriage is on the rocks, if you just lost your job, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, I've been through all of these things. And at the end, by putting my hope and trust in God, he saw me through. And now what God has shown me is that my life, my marriage, my family, the Bendet family, your life, Your family, whether you're single or married, and especially this church, has been this beautiful, cultivated, healthy, young tree. And we have great roots here. We've gotten off to a great start. We've started this church right. Have we made mistakes? You bet. Has it been messy? Oh, there's no doubt. (laughs) But what I want you to know is this God has been in it, and it's been beautiful, and what we're building is sustainable, And it's only going to grow, and it's only going to shift. This church is going to find its own sound. This city's going to find its sound. But we have a unique sound here. We have a unique voice here. And I can't compare myself to the 350 other churches in town. I can't try to measure up or be like anyone else, and neither can you. All you can do is be uniquely you and who God's called you to be. But you've got to find your identity as sons and daughters and heirs according to a promise because it goes deeper. It's awesome. You're a son, you're a daughter. But of who and of what and what does that give you? And that's why the Lord showed me that we're gonna dig deeper roots here. And by what I'm talking about this morning, by us embracing the nation of Israel, by us stepping into a greater support, this church is gonna step into a greater support in so many facets for the nation of Israel. And that doesn't mean it's gonna be any less in caring for the other nations. But what it does mean is we're gonna embrace and align and do all we can to fight anti-Semitism and to see God's original chosen people step into what God has for them and ultimately show them the Messiah through Jesus Christ. That's what's gonna happen. Because I had this awesome experience with this tour guide that is a diehard Israelite, like he's really a hardcore Orthodox Jew. This guy is like a fighter for his nation and for his religion. And at the end of the day, he doesn't believe in Jesus the Messiah. But because I understand atonement, because I understand forgiveness, because I understood sacrifice, because I understood what happened with Aaron the high priest and how every year there was a sacrifice that had to be made in order for forgiveness to happen, 
because I understand that the Jews are having to live under 613 man-made laws outside of God's law just for them to be righteous, which nobody can do, I was able to have these conversations that ultimately pointed to the need for the Messiah now, not just when he returns. And so it was awesome. It was awesome. And I want to teach you those things. I want you to learn. I want you to become skilled. I want you to become equipped. I don't want you to be just nice American Christian followers. I want you to be people that have an understanding of a promise and even a land and a nation all over the world that God is raising up to advance his purpose and agenda and how you fit into it. No matter where you work, no matter what you do, God has a plan and a purpose that's beautiful and powerful. And when you start to walk secure and confident in that, watch out. I'm telling you, watch out. It's powerful and it's beautiful and it breaks hopelessness. It breaks shame, it breaks fear, it breaks worry. So I'm gonna show you some of those things this morning. So the first thing is, God says, I'm make you a great nation. Let's go back to verse two. The second thing that he says, I love this because God says, first, he's, God's doing all these things, by the way. I want you to notice that the Lord says, I will, I will, I'll make, and you'll become. So God in his sovereignty and his love and his care and because of his covenant promises, make sure that everything that he said and decreed that he wants to happen for your life is gonna make it happen. All we have to do is say yes, amen, and put our trust and hope in Jesus, all right? So the next thing he said, I'm gonna bless you. If you look up this word blessed, which is actually the word barach, that's the word. It means to kneel down, it means to honor, and it means to salute. Check this out. God starts out by saying, I'm first gonna do it for you. You see, you didn't choose him, he chose you. And then we responded with a yes. He elected you. He nominated you. He came after you. But we make the choice to respond. Not everybody's saved and they just don't know it. The people that become the seeds of Abraham, God gives aid and help to. I'm gonna show that to you here in just a moment. Those are the ones that he comes and fights for. Does he love everybody? You bet he does. Does he care for everyone? You bet he does. Is he more moved by our our uh, ethnicity or our socioeconomic status? Absolutely not. He's no respecter of persons. But for his family and for his sons and daughters, God commands a blessing upon them and gives aid and help to them. And tag, you're it if you're in Christ. He says, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make your name great. And you are going to become a blessing. The word blessing here is a derivative of the word bless, obviously, but the word blessing means that you will become prosperous and have the ability to substantially prosper others. That's what that word means, okay? So God makes this promise to Abram, and he says, I'm gonna make you great, I'm gonna bless you, and here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna become a blessing to everyone. Verse three, he says, I'm gonna bless those who bless you, and, and what that means is this, is those that honor and bless the nation of Israel in turn will receive honor and blessing. And the scripture makes it clear that we have that obligation. And the reason why I'm being so passionate about this and you know, you think, well, pastor, why are you doing this on a Sunday morning? Well, because number one, anti-Semitism is substantially on the rise around the world. Anti-Semitism simply means to have a hatred towards the Jews. And people are publicly, for all kinds of reasons, now I'm not gonna tackle the battle for land and why the Palestinian and Israeli conflict is so rampant. But what I am gonna say to you is from both sides' perspective, don't believe everything that you see on the news, okay? And what I am gonna tell you is the conflict goes so long and so deep and so wide and both sides are guilty of atrocities. But at the end of the day, this is a spiritual battle and there's a promise that was made to a man and there was ultimately a promise made to a nation and there was ultimately a promise made for a land of a people that he would call his own and a city that he would put his stamp on, the city of Jerusalem. And so down the line, in this series, we'll talk about why we bless Jerusalem and what happens 
when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem and why Jerusalem was so important. We'll talk about those things. And I don't know that I'll do it all on a Sunday morning, but this morning coming fresh off the heels of Israel, you bet I'm going to talk to you a little bit about why it's so important. Okay. Are you guys doing all right? Am I overwhelming you this way? I'm not sure where you guys are at today. Are you guys all right? You fired up? I'm so fired up right now. Let me just tell you, I'm so fired up. This is where it all begins. I'm trying to give you a 101 understanding. Because, look, we live in Corpus Christi in America. We have all kinds of struggles and challenges, all kinds of polarized division happening all around the immediacy of our world. And to think about Jerusalem and Israel, you know, 6,000 miles away from here, an 11-hour flight is like, how does it really apply to me? But here's what I want to know, what I want you to know. We're not going to go all Israel crazy. Don't worry about that. What we are going to do is we're going to support, align, fight anti-Semitism, and we're going to be a church that's known as a partner supporting the nation of Israel. Yeah. yeah. Woo! And I, it's like, I, I, posted, I posted a post this morning, and it, my wife's like, I can't believe you posted that because it's controversial. I said, but you know what? I don't care anymore. And the thing is, is I'm not any less of a fighter for all the nations of the world, and I don't care any less about the Palestinians or anybody else. I love all people and everyone. But I know that God has a special chosen people, and the Bible says, which I'm not going to get into today, that the Jews are the original olive tree, and we as Gentiles are grafted in. That's why I make this statement. Roses are reddish, violets are bluish. Thank to Jesus, we can all be Jewish. Now, for those of you that don't know, my father's Jewish. And for many, many, many years, since the day I got born again, I had this love and desire to know more about Israel and a care for the Jewish people because of what I read in the Bible. This Jewish star, the Megan David, or the shield of David, wrapped around this Jasper stone, my Israeli friend in Miami, Florida, in Coconut Grove, who I used to party with and do drugs with, that owns a little silver shop, who knew me before I got born again, he made this for me. I've had this for 26 years, 26 years. And I've wore it proud for a very long time, which is heaven and earth colliding. It's two triangles, perfect triangles joined together. It's God and man together as one. It's unity. It's fire, water joining together as one from heaven and earth. And so this isn't just a newfound thing, but what is newfound for me is this understanding that we as a people we as a body, we as a family must support and align and do all we can to not only pray, but to teach and help people to understand because there's so much misguided understanding about Israel and the Jews that are out there. You know, in the Holocaust, the greatest atrocity known to mankind, we got to go to the Holocaust uh, Memorial in Israel and I bawled my eyes out the entire time. It was, they spent billions of dollars on this place to explain it from beginning to end, from the end of World War I, all the way through Hitler, all the videos, all the pictures, all the articles, how it all happened, how it started and how it ended. And it ended with hope and promise of all these Jews that are being brought back to the homeland and that were saved or spared and legacies and stories of you know 25,000 people that were uh, fighters for Israel and saved and rescued people. It was incredible. And it was just stuff that I never really knew or understand, understood. I wasn't taught it in school, personally, I wasn't. And all I knew is what I saw on the TV or the media or the few things that I read about online. And so it was life-changing for me. Six million Jews slaughtered in the Holocaust. There were nine million Jews in Europe that had been there for centuries and centuries and centuries post the destruction of the Second Temple in AD 70. And they were living all over the world. And in Europe, 9 million Jews. By the end of World War II, 6 million Jews had been killed. 75% of the Jews that were living in Europe slaughtered. There is a hatred by the devil for God's people. And that hatred doesn't just go to the Jew. It goes to the Christians as much as the Jew in wiping us out and ultimately persecuting us to give up and not advance God's agenda all over the world. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. And it's a spiritual battle to keep us back from this promise. 
okay? Now, you're not going to understand it all, and I don't ex expect you to understand it all. But what I hope and what I pray is that you would begin to be awakened. Do your research. Do your studies. Un study the Holocaust. Study how it happened. Study the atrocities. Read your Bible a lot and understand how God rescued the Israelites from Egypt and how God took them. They went into Egypt with, I don't know, the, the nation of Israel was maybe, what, 70 or 80 people when they went into Egypt, all the way back to the story of Joseph. And when they came out, they were 2.2 million strong 400 years later. It's incredible. And God would call them to a promised land, a place that Abraham had already been. And he'd give them a city, a place where Abraham had trusted God to remember that if we have faith like Abraham had, we are heirs according to the promise. Okay? Are you guys with me? So he says, I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And in you, in Abram, in Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that means this. That means that we receive every promise that God has for us, for our family, and for ourselves so that we can give it away to everybody else that we encounter. That's what it means to be a blessing. All right? Romans 4.16. We're sons and daughters and blessed because of Christ. Therefore, it is the faith that it might be according to grace. So when we have faith, we have an empowerment from God to accomplish everything that he wants us to accomplish. And it all starts with faith. So the first thing that we have to have above all else, and no matter what we're facing in our lives, whatever it is we're contending and believing for, everything starts with faith. The just shall live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. And so through faith, according to grace, according to God's empowerment in our life, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, which is the Jews, but also to those who are of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So it's important to note that Abraham is the father of all nations, and ultimately, he's the father of us as Christians, okay? And we're heirs according to this promise because we have the faith that Abraham had. It's not just to the Jews, but now for those of us that have that kind of faith that Abraham had originally, and ultimately, it's a faith to trust in the one true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in turn, we receive the promise. We're heirs according to the promise. It wasn't by works, but it was by trust. And it's a trust and hope in Christ that enables us to obtain and to give those very promises that we get because of Abraham away to everyone we encounter. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. For you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So if we have faith in Christ Jesus, you're a son. Scripture makes it clear. You become a son, you become a daughter. We put our faith, our hope, our trust, and our life into Christ's hands, and in turn, we become sons and daughters. Verse 27. For as many as you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Therefore, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor free, female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Let me help you understand this. What the Apostle Paul isn't saying is that the Jews and the Greeks are done away with. What he's saying is, is now there's no class distinction. Is that now we become seeds of Abraham and heirs according to the promise I just read to you, which is reiterated over and over and over for the, the next three or four chapters after Genesis 12. We become heirs according to that promise because we're seeds of Abraham. Yeah. And so now we're not making a distinction between social classes or ethnic classes. Do you understand that? So now through Christ, there's not a difference between a man and a woman. The woman's not any less powerful than a man. That's why we have women pastors here. That's why we propel women. And so we're not saying the Jews are greater than the Greeks, which would, in a sense, be like the Gentiles or those that weren't the original chosen ones. But now, because of Christ Jesus, every single person is an heir. 
And again, that word heir means that we have a rightful inheritance or an allotment that's been given to every single one of us because of Abraham. You guys got that? Now think about this. If I was going to start anywhere to teach about Israel, the nation of Israel, why we should support it, I'm starting here. I'm starting with covenant. I'm starting with a promise. I'm starting with the understanding that because we're Christians, we are now grabbing on to a call and a gift that's without repentance that was made to the Jews. You guys understand that? All right. The greatest promise that we have is to become sons and daughters and the power and ability to honor God as a friend. We're obedient to God because we're friends with God. We're obedient to God because we love him and we have faith in him, not because of man-made religion. And I want to snap any of you out of this religious thing that makes you feel like you have to be obedient or else. And that we, we have this slave master mentality towards God and we live like slaves seeing him as a master instead of a father and a friend and sons and daughters. That's what it means. It was Abraham, the Bible says that Abraham was called a friend of God because through righteousness he honored or, or because he honored God through faith and obedience, it was accounted to him as righteousness. He called him a friend. Not a slave, not a servant. And many of us are seeing God as a master and we're living our lives as an orphan slave. Instead of understanding God made a promise and he loves you. And because God loves you and he did it first for you, we can become friends of God and in turn, we want to be obedient. I don't want to look at porn. I don't want to look at smoke dope. I don't want to get drunk. I don't want to do those things anymore because I have a friend that I love that cares so much about me and rescued me. Did I make all those mistakes after becoming a Christian? Yes. My first year as a Christian, I was praying in tongues and getting high. I told you guys the story. But after about a year of conviction, I finally couldn't take it anymore and I gave it up. I battled all my old soulish ways that I lived in for 22 years of my life prior to becoming a Christian. And it was through the process of sanctification over the course of time that and love and passion and being captivated by God's heart and friendship that I overcame. Not man-made religion, not fear. It's a powerful word right there. And that'll set people free when you begin to understand it. And so what I want you to know is that you're an heir according to a promise. And if you're in Christ, you're Abraham's seed. My last scripture for you this morning is that there's great news for all of us to re receive help and aid and to overcome fear that's plaguing so many of our lives. Any bondage, any fear, especially the fear of death. The fear of death has become the greatest thing I've had to battle in the last several years since we lost a child. I've never had to battle it to the degree that I've had to battle it. And now that I have two little children of my own, that's four and five, now that we have a church, we have coffee shops, great responsibility, the enemy works on overtime to try to bring fear and worry that it's gonna die or it's not gonna make it. And anytime that you begin to expand in your life, anytime you begin to move, I've taught this so many times, Anytime you begin to move forward into the more that God has for you, there's going to be adversity, an everyday enemy that comes against you to drive you back. But the great news is that God has given you an everyday strategy that's better than the everyday enemy. Okay? And that everyday strategy is this understanding that there's transformational power in a promise as a daughter, as a son, a blessing that God has for you, a promise that can never be shaken, that he's kept through the Holocaust, all the way to the nation of Israel today, and now to the nations of the world through Christ. It's powerful when you understand it. And so this fear and this worry and this darkness that tries to come against you, God says something so powerful that's related to everything I've taught you this morning, and I'll conclude with this, Hebrews 2.14. Inasmuch then as children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear and death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, we're talking about Jesus, 
He does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he, is, he Jesus, had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are being tempted. So notice the last scripture says he's able to give aid to those who are being tempted. And earlier it says he gives aid to the seed of Abraham. Tag, you're it. So Jesus gives you help when you need it the most. When you surrender your life to him, he gives you help not only to overcome, but to obtain every promise that God has given to Abraham, his people, and the nation of Israel, and us all together. Jesus would have to be made like his brethren, meaning he would become man and walk on the face of the earth and have to overcome every battle and every temptation that we have to overcome. He would become flesh and blood and share in the same struggles that we have to face. He was made like us and he was tempted like us, but he was perfect and he overcame. So now we have somebody that can always give us help and pull us up higher. Now we have a high priest that we can go to because the veil was ripped in two, when he gave his life on Calvary, and now all of us have access. It's powerful to understand because today the Jews, still the Jews that don't believe in Jesus the Messiah, they don't have that access the same way that we do. And that's why I hit this thing with my tour guide on atonement. Because when you understand atonement, they fast, they have to keep these rules once a year, the, the slate's wiped clean. But now every day our slate can be wiped clean. And now every failure and shortcoming that you made this is awesome. And it should produce confidence in your life. I'm tired of seeing Christians walking, beat down, broke, busted, and disgusted. You know what? Life is hard. Marriage can be hard. Children can be hard. Work and coworkers can be hard. And I sense that this morning, some of you are really battling one of those areas. We all go through it. We make mistakes, we fall short, but we have somebody that gives us aid. We have somebody that helps us and fights for us because he overcame it. And he overcame it through death. He overcame it through the cross. And by his death, check this out, by his death, he overcame the devil. The scripture says the devil who had, had, past tense, the power of death. And don't just think death in the natural because we've experienced death. I'm talking about eternal death. I'm talking about life forevermore that the enemy tries to steal, kill, rob, and destroy. And not even just eternity, but eternity now. The fact that we can live, I believe it. And I don't understand why certain things happen, but you know what? I'm not gonna live in that, and I'm not gonna live in the past, and I'm not gonna try to figure it all out. Instead, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna trust the Bible, and I'm gonna trust the promises of God, and I'm gonna grab hold of an inheritance. I'm gonna grab hold of a promise. And I pray my life will never be cut prematurely short. But if it ever did, please carry the torch forward as sons and daughters and live fiery, passionate, live boldly. I want my kids to hear this. I want my kids to know that if, if I get to live another 30, 40 years, my kids will only be my age. I'll believe for another 50. Why not? 48, I'll make to 98, 100. But one day my kids are going to look back and they're going to say, what did my daddy say? And they're going to have podcasts. It's written now. It's forever accounted for. Do you understand that? This, this message is recorded and broadcasted live and put on Facebook. And put on podcasts. And my kids, what I want them to know and I want you to know, and what I want my children to know, is that God made a promise to a man who birthed a nation. And God made a promise to a nation that birthed a man. His name is Jesus. Because he came from the tribe of Judah, which from the loins of Isaac, from Jacob, ultimately Isaac and Abraham, the covenant promise stands today. And if you'll start walking in the covenant promise, I promise you, you will begin to see great prosperity, health, wholeness, life inside of you. You don't have to live the way that you live. You're not a beggar and a pauper. You're not a drug addict and a, and a porn addict. It's not who you are. And the, in the natural, some of those things may be plaguing your life, but it's not who you are. It's not who God says you are. 
and I will fight for you. And those of you that choose to join together with me in this family, because there's a lot of you that are sticking around and staying, and I, want, I really thank you. And I will fight for you. Because God's building a family. And not everybody that comes is going to stay. But you know what? More and more people are coming and staying. And more will. And God just so happens to have us on a journey. It's an incredible story. We have the gala. We have Rick Pino. Dollar General vacates. We go to, I go to Israel. You think that there's not a story being built? I'm worshiping with James Nesbitt. You guys don't know, but you will know him because I've invited him. Who, who uh, Brian o and Katie O'Callaghan have been connected to. And I'm releasing a fresh sound on the, on the field of shepherds right after all that stuff just happened here. God's building a story. I'm not swayed by who stays, and I'm not swayed by who doesn't. And I'm not swayed by empty seats or full seats. I'm swayed by family. I'm swayed by a promise, and I'm swayed by trust. I want you to know that. So this morning, I want you to know that if you're battling temptation, if you're battling feeling insignificant, if you're battling feeling that God doesn't care, those are all lies. You can't tell me God doesn't care. He made a promise. You know what a promise is? A promise is a guarantee. A promise is, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm doing it. And God is a man of his word. So no more living like orphans, paupers, abandoned. No more living like a refugee. You have a homeland, and it starts in your heart. And ultimately, God will bring us back to the city of David. He will restore, he's restoring the tabernacle of David. And all of us get to be a part of it. It's for all nations. So this church is going to the next level. I believe a huge key for us to get the money that we need and to step into the more that God has was God taking us to Israel. Now, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know which organization. There's so many out there. I don't know who we're going to align ourselves with. But here's what I can tell you. You better get your passport ready because we're going to start taking our own trips to Israel. And this is this church that the greatest way we can support is to go there spend our money, support the system there, and fight for people's lives. And you know what? We'll fight for Palestinians too because God cares for those people. And there's Christians living in, the, in these, these areas where the Palestinians are. Bethlehem, the Garden Tomb, all these areas are areas where God showed himself resurrected and there's promises and hope where he was born and birthed. And so we're gonna love, we're gonna stand firm, we're gonna fight, and we're gonna grow in who we are, amen? Let's all stand.